If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? Bible stories can sometimes hit a little too close for comfort, Holy One. And this one about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law in the Gospel of Mark is timely here in Oklahoma. And the whole city gathered around the door. That's what Mark says happened when it was discovered that Jesus was offering free health care. The whole city came for it. Apparently, there were quite a few people for whom the system wasn't working. And Jesus healed them without a word about work requirements or medical history. It's more like the whole state here at home. We took a step towards wider healthcare coverage last summer. Medicaid expansion is supposed to drive down the state's 14% uninsured rate and around 200,000 of us will be newly eligible possibly more because of pandemic-related job loss. We know this is a prayer, not a news report, Holy One, but we're, we're just really worried. As of last week, the governor auctioned off Medicaid to private companies, even though it's clear that running the state like a business isn't helping those who need help the most. So we are asking for wisdom and courage to figure out how to make sure all who are gathered around the door for health care are given it. Because that's what Jesus did. Perhaps we'll start by retelling this story to the governor. Give him ears to hear, Holy One. We pray in the name of Jesus, who gave preference to those with pre-existing conditions. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, 
that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings." Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. In 1 Corinthians, Paul takes on a number of church conflicts, theological debates, and arguments about how the community is supposed to be organized. The issues are all over the place, from Jesus' resurrection to what foods are okay to eat at a fellowship dinner. Spoiler alert, he couldn't and didn't just leave it at casseroles. We find ourselves towards the middle of his letter to the Corinthians and in the middle of a section in which he's talking about the nature of his apostleship, his qualifications, and why he does what he does. Now, Paul has always had a reputation for being intense. He is all in whatever it is that he's into. Before he started planting churches, he was persecuting them, described in the eighth chapter of Acts as ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, he committed them to prison. And while he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, Paul has his come to Jesus moment on the road to Damascus, which people are usually familiar with. And it is also one of the most intense revelatory moments scripture describes lights from heaven flashing around, the voice of Jesus, and sudden idiopathic blindness. Truly, everything is on full blast when it comes to Paul. Now, he is an apostle with a capital A, pastor and evangelist, and he still has no chill at all which we hear in the opening lines of this passage when Paul calls down woe on himself if he does not proclaim the gospel. This is not the woe of amazement or surprise, but the woe of suffering and punishment, which we hear about from many of the prophets, including Jesus. Paul is essentially calling down curses on himself. And I want to say, hey, buddy, could you take it down a notch? You're scaring people. Just when you think he's hit peak big tent revival preaching mode, we realize it's a false summit. 
For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all. The rhetorical force of this statement is powerful, but it doesn't land quite right to our modern ears and perhaps not to the original audience. The use of the word slave in this passage makes more than a few of us uncomfortable for the obvious reason that enslavement is one of the most terrible things humans have done to one another. And in the United States in particular, slavery continues to wreak havoc on black Americans. But it is important to think even more deeply about why Paul's self-identification with the experience of enslaved people is problematic. As Dr. Angela Parker notes, Paul himself is a free man who exploits the experience of socially marginalized and oppressed population, not in order to relate to them, but in order to capitalize upon their pain for the sake of making a rhetorical point about his devotion to Christ. We know from Paul's other writings that he is indeed a freeborn, educated Jewish male. As Melanie Howard further observes, the society of Paul's time afforded him the position to be able to give up his privileges if he so chose. However, many audiences both in his time and in ours are not granted the opportunity to enjoy such privileges, let alone be offered the ability to relinquish them. So while a message encouraging some audiences to follow in Paul's footsteps of voluntary self-abasement may be appropriate in some settings, it is not universally applicable and may, in fact, be harmful to marginalized or disempowered audiences. All of this is to say that we, we need to think about the words and phrases we use, which may seem harmless or even the most effective way to communicate, but are ultimately unexamined use of privilege without consideration of the reality or experience of anyone else. But while Paul may have bungled the wording, the message holds. Getting the church to consider the reality and experience of others is really what Paul is trying to do here. I have become all things to all people, he writes. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might, by all means, save some. In a way, it sounds like Paul is suggesting that we twist ourselves into pretzels to get people into church. It sounds like profoundly unhealthy and unfaithful advice especially for those of us who are already fighting off the urge to be people pleasers. But this is not what Paul means. Eric Barreto explains that Paul is describing a radical way of life in which he walks alongside all kinds of people in order to draw them closer to God. He had to know them seek to understand them, try to see the world through their eyes, attempt to see the way that they see their own stories before telling them of a larger gospel story. He bases this way of life on the ministry of Jesus, 
which he explains in Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. This is what it means to seek the advantage of another rather than one's own advantage. While it may be helpful for some to think that Jesus chose not to use his superpowers and that's why he was crucified, perhaps it will be helpful to others to consider that Jesus chose not to use his privilege and that's why he was crucified. We see this in his ministry when Jesus does not shy away from lepers or panhandlers or tax collectors. The longest conversation Jesus had that is recorded in any of the Gospels is with a woman. And the disciples were shocked because, well, men didn't have to have conversation with women because, well, it wasn't worth the theological effort. But they were to Jesus. And ultimately, this kind of behavior would get Jesus executed by the state with the support of religious leaders. He could have opted out by upholding orthodoxy and being a man's man, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus moved into closer proximity to those who weren't like him, to those who weren't insiders, to those who needed a doctor, to those who needed a teacher. And he ate with people who other people whispered about. And this... I believe, is why he didn't alter course and go back to Nazareth before things heated up. He simply knew too many stories to do anything else but confront the entire system of injustice and violence and do it in a way that would lead others to do the same. And this is where Paul draws inspiration. This is why he finds people who are not like him and works to understand their perspective and experience so that, as he writes, I might by all means save some. This, he says, is what keeps the church from becoming a country club where everyone looks alike, sounds alike, and believes alike. It is also how the church, as Paul says, might by all means save some. You may be thinking that that sounds alarmingly evangelical. But remember that the salvation Jesus offered to those around him was the gospel, good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. What well, we can't know how to work for those things unless we know each other's stories unless we get in close proximity to the neighbors we claim to care about. In her 2018 speech at the Human Rights Campaign Dinner, Alexandra Billings, an actress, teacher, activist, and transgender woman, offered what I consider to be a helpful translation of Paul's letter. Here it is. Find your purpose in someone else's life. Find your purpose in someone else's life. This is how we learn what it means to be a gun violence survivor. This is 
how we learn what it is like to walk around in skin that draws unnecessary and hostile attention from the store management or, God forbid, the police. This is how we learn what it's like to be a military family, a blended family, chosen family. This is how we learn what it's like to manage diabetes when prices for insulin are skyrocketing. This is how we will know what it's like to be a transgender teen surviving homelessness, or what it means to be on a fixed income or home all day with three kids under eight during a pandemic, or the pressure of being the sole income earner, or what life is like with addiction, anxiety, and depression. This is how we learn how difficult it is to have served time only to get out and owe more in fines and fees than rent. Find your purpose in someone else's life. This is how we learn how to come alongside one another, to empty ourselves, to seek the advantage of another rather than one's own advantage. Oh, what this world might be like if this became the definition of evangelicalism. Where to start? Well, around here, the Seeker Sunday School class is collaborating with folks from Greater Mount Olive Baptist Church, an historic black church on the northeast side of the city, to build relationships. Sisu Youth, which provides overnight shelter, clothing, hot meals, and case management to Oklahoma City's youth experiencing homelessness, also need help. Many of those kids are in that position because they've been kicked out of the house for being queer. Our community organizing coalition, VOICE, Voices Organized in Civic Engagement, has regular meetings on student loan debt, predatory lending, and eviction, and all of those meetings are based on the sharing of stories, perspectives, and experiences. You could also always start with the church directory. Reach out to the three people above or below your own name. Or you could just show up at the online coffee hour after the service. There will be people there to learn about and to share your own story with. For all of us need help. And then, when we know each other's stories, then we can begin the work of fixing broken systems and mending broken hearts. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.